0: Welcome to the first episode of the Bottom-Up Revolution podcast in 2022. I hope you all had a peaceful, cozy, safe holiday with your loved ones. It's great to be back with you, and we've got an exciting episode to kick off the new year. Um, This is one I actually recorded back in November, and I'm glad to finally be able to publish it. Billy Altam is the Executive Director of APRIL, which stands for Association of Programs for Rural Independent Living, It is a national nonprofit consisting of over 260 members from centers for independent living for people with disabilities, specifically located in rural areas. Altum has been involved in disability advocacy on a number of levels, including testifying for state and federal legislatures, working on committees, working for several independent living organizations, and now leading April. And he's also a musician. In this conversation, he talks about the importance of peer support, of seeing someone who looks like you and knows what you're experiencing, whether that's encountering a fellow wheelchair user on the bus or meeting another deaf person at school. This is particularly essential in rural areas where the population of people with disabilities can be fairly small and services can be quite sparse. Altum knows from his own experience the power of simply connecting with someone who also has a disability, and then he brings that to his work with organizations connecting with one another as they seek to serve people with disabilities. He talks in this conversation about rural transportation and housing challenges in particular, as well as the impact of COVID, um, both negative and positive for people with disabilities. Throughout the interview, You'll learn that he holds a deep commitment to engaging the people who are impacted by his work and ensures that his organization is always rooted in community needs, something that we are constantly advocating for at Strong Towns. Altam is a super engaging and dynamic speaker. I know you're gonna appreciate hearing his story and learn a lot from his perspective. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom-Up Revolution podcast. We are glad to have you here.
1: Oh, thank you very much. It's my pleasure.
0: Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and um, how you came to be leading your organization, April?
1: Absolutely. Well, my name, again, is Billy Alton, and I'm the director of the Association of Programs for Rural Independent Living, or APRIL. And APRIL is a membership organization of small nonprofits all across the United States and in the territories as well. And these nonprofits, we call them independent living, but there's kind of a misnomer with that name because independent living has been co-opted by the aging group. And you think of when somebody says independent living, you think of, well, how many people live there? Well, for us, independent living is about living in the community independently, being in control of all of the services that you need to live independently. So we want folks in the community, not living in institutional settings. So when I talk about independent living, I'm talking about folks being out in the community. So we are a membership organization of these Centers for Independent Living all across the country. We have 260 organizational members in 45 states, still working on a few states to get everybody to be a member But what we do as an organization then for our membership is we provide training and technical assistance. Uh, One of the things that we noticed years ago with our organization, we've been around now since uh, we became a 501C in 1994, so a few days now. But one of the main things that we've done with our organization that is kind of unique is we do focus on rural America and in the smaller communities but what we've learned in the independent living movement with people with disabilities is that peer support is crucial. Of uh, Finding someone who has a similar disability, I myself am a person with a disability, I have a lower level spinal cord injury, so I'm a wheelchair user, and finding someone who experiences life in the same fashion that you do is incredibly valuable. Uh, I have, it happened to me quite often of just, just by being out, people will come up to me and go, dude, thank you. I, uh, you know, I've, I've only been injured this long and, and wasn't sure I'd ever drive again, do this, you know, all of the things that we take for granted. And it's, uh, the, the peer support mechanism is just fabulous and, and how it, how it operates. So we were thinking if an individual can, uh, Mentor an individual. Could an organization mentor another organization? We put together a program of peer mentoring uh, where we mentor organization to organization, and it has just been a phenomenal success. Uh, people rave about it of, you know, if you're new to being an executive director, there are a lot of things that that you may not have learned uh, through schooling or other, avenues to prepare you to be an executive director. So what we try to do is offer a couple of options for folks to get mentoring, because as I say, mentoring is a individual, very individual thing to be doing peer support and not everybody jives with each other. So we give folks options of going, hey, let me, here's a couple of folks, two or three people that can do what you want them to do. Why don't you talk to them? individually and figure out which one of these folks can you work with for six months to a year doing some of your mentoring. So it works out swimmingly well to have folks who have uh, similar interests, similar likes uh, that can mentor each other. Um, but as, as April too, we keep, continue to grow. Part of what we really focus on too is young people with disabilities in rural America. Uh, At our conference, we try to do a conference each year, and it moves around the country and bring in a lot of young men and women and those who identify as non-binary and bring them in together and help create a safe space for them to share ideas, to realize that they're not alone. Uh, One of the things in rural America, people always think that, you know, it's just me. Nobody else is experiencing this problem. No, everybody's experiencing that problem. So We want folks in rural America to be connected as much as possible. And interestingly, through COVID has presented a couple of opportunities for us of, you know, typically things weren't done over the Internet and, uh, you know, with Google Meet and all those different platforms that you can use. What we uh, found is that we could get our youth connected and 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 for a lot of them, they were already using some of these platforms that we're now using. So we were able to actually learn a lot from our young people of how to access a lot of the programs, what works well, what doesn't work well, what has access capabilities, what doesn't have access capabilities. Because, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not one size fits all for everything. There are a lot of generalities, but There are some programs that work better for folks who may be visually impaired versus someone who may be deaf or, you know, all of those. So you just have to find the thing that works best for you and keep going.
0: Um, Yeah. So you started to get into something that I wanted to definitely ask about and focus on, which is, are there challenges that you see rural residents with disabilities facing that might be different from those who live in suburbs or cities? And, and why does your organization choose to really focus on rural here?
1: Well, we focus on rural primarily because we're rural. I grew up, I'm the organization was founded, uh, oh gosh, 86 when a group of folks got together up in uh, Montana. So the office now is housed here in Little Rock, Arkansas. So I'm an Arkansas fella, can't get much more country than I am. Uh, trust yeah. me on that. So we just have a natural instinct of wanting to help Folks in rural America and realizing the differences. But what you would ask me is what are some of the differences? Oh gosh, there's so many places to start. One of the places I always like to start is transportation. You know, if you live in an urban area, there's chances that you might have some fixed route transportation in your in your city. But if you're living out in rural America, chances are you do not have that opportunity for transportation. And you become more transit dependent on family, friends, uh, or other organizations. And a lot of the organizations that we work with, those Centers for Independent Living, uh, also partner with a lot of other organizations. Uh, one in particular, our Area Agencies on Aging. We have a lot of similarities with them. Serve a lot of folks in rural America, too. Is So partner with folks that can get you where you need to be. So our Area Agencies on Aging are typically the ones who have a lot of the transportation. So we try to work with them to figure out how can we, uh, how can we assist? How can we make them stronger? Because it's not about taking resources from one place and giving it to another, it's about how do we share all of our resources? I'm, I'm the guy who preaches equity all the time, and there's a huge difference between equality and equity. Uh, so I, I believe in the equity aspect and, and we have to look at equity through when we look at transportation and rural America that it, well, all services in rural America may be a little more expensive due to the nature of the beast. You're out there in the country, but it doesn't mean that it's not worth it. What is the old the old story about the guy walking down the beach, picking up a starfish? You know, there's just starfish laying everywhere. You'll pick one up and he'll throw it back into the water. And he encounters this guy walking towards him. He just, what, what are you doing? He goes, I'm saving the starfish. And he goes, but there's millions of them. You think you're going to make a difference? And he goes, well, I made a difference to this one. And that's what I try to do, too, is go, look, I may not be able to get every single person, but we've got to try to get that one. We can't turn our backs on everybody. So transportation is always an issue. Housing sometimes can be an issue. Uh, finding a f- accessible housing, uh, housing that's wheelchair friendly or any type of uh, disability that, that makes it more user friendly for that individual. And then just the wide open space of uh, being in rural America presents its own challenges. Of And they can all be re- resolved for me around transportation most of the time of uh, there's so much windshield time between places. And and if you're a person with a disability that requires personal assistance services and someone who comes in to help you with your daily activities, those can be difficult in rural America just due to the fact that some of those personal assistance services making only work an eight hour shift. And if they spent four of it in their vehicle with some windshield time, you're not serving anybody. Uh, so we have to figure out ways that we can be creative in how we serve people in rural America.
0: And for you, what led you to be um, the executive director of this organization? What what drew you to this type of work?
1: Well, for me, I was a young man growing up here in Arkansas, and I was 22 years old and involved in a vehicle accident that left me uh, gave me a spinal cord injury. And it was one of those I... Uh, being in rural America, I, uh, I believe I was the first person with a disability I'd ever met, uh, which, which was kind of a, a unique experience of not knowing anybody. So this is why I love the pure aspect of, of independent living. But after I acquired my disability, I, uh, I'm sitting in, you know, I get through the acute care hospital, I get into rehab. I still haven't had clothes on. I've got a pair of sweatpants, uh, tortoise shell for my back i'd also broken my neck so i had a neck brace on and i'm trying to you know working with my therapist and i see this dude come through the rehab center he is uh wearing blue jeans t-shirt baseball cap and a manual wheelchair i mean just chum, chum, there he went and i looked at my therapist and i was like who is that and she goes well that's marty johnson and i went marty johnson She goes, well, actually, she said, it's you in about three months. And I went, ah. And I said, what's his name? It's Marty. So years go by, and I'm at a meeting, and there's about five or six of us wheelchair users sitting around, and we're introducing ourselves. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Who are you? And a dude said, I'm Marty Johnson. And I went, Marty Johnson, you have no idea how much you changed my life. And he goes, dude, I don't even know you. And I went, exactly. That's the beautiful part of the peer mechanism is that you don't have to know someone. You just have to be out there and be visible. That's how you make change. And you, because I'm the guy who always talks about familiarity leads to acceptance. Well, if you've never been around anybody that uses a chair, you don't know how to act with them. You you watch, oh, did I say walk in front of that dude that uses a chair? I'm going, well, hell, I stand in line all day and I'm a chair user, so I don't get hung up on the vernacular I get hung up on intent and and you can tell when somebody is sincere and when they're learning or but it was just so amazing to get to meet marty and and then have it that it happens for me quite frequently that I will be out and about doing something and somebody's going to come up and talk to me about man I can't wait to get home and tell my son my daughter my cousin other you know Anybody in their family that has experienced a disability that is anything similar to mine, they want to go home and tell them that, hey, man, I saw this dude at Kroger. He's pushing his cart around. He's doing all kinds of stuff. He's whistling the Kroger theme song. In fact, they owe me money. But uh, it's all about attitude a lot of times and how you approach life. So after I'd met Marty and I had been a musician most of my life growing up, my parents were musicians, so I'd been in bands all my life and started playing music again. And that was, boy, talk about some great advocacy work. You should uh, be sitting at a bar and uh, up on stage playing. I was a drummer, too, so that was always good. So I'd be playing drums when we'd take our first break, and my guitar player, bass player, would help me down off the stage using a wheelchair. People's eyeballs were huge, going, oh, my goodness. He was not only was he playing drums, he was the lead singer in this band. So it just opened up so many doors of, of how people viewed other people, you know, going, hey, just, you never knew, you didn't think it was going to be me that was up on stage, so who knows the person you meet on the street that has a disability, what they're capable of, so never make those snap judgments, but anyway, after uh, playing music, I realized, you know, maybe I should do something with my life, and I uh, wound up going to college at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, uh, growing up in Arkansas, I was a diehard Razorback fan and didn't go to college there. It was a dream come true for me. So after I finished college, I uh, I got up there in the summer of 89 and left in the summer of 92. I crammed uh, four years into three because I love summer school. If there's kids out there listening to me and you're going to college, rack up on the summer school. Man, I love summer school. Uh, but anyway, it's a different story. But after I get out of college, I uh, didn't know what I was going to do with my life. There was actually, I had a map on the wall and I threw a dart at it and it hit Little Rock. And I went, oh, looks like I'm moving to Little Rock is what I'm going to do. Didn't know a soul. Just moved here. Uh, found a place to live. Was Started looking for a job. And I found a job at the advocacy services, which are now our disability rights centers. But uh, at that time, it was the the Protection and Advocacy System for the state of Arkansas, and I got a job there in the PAIR program, the Protection and Advocacy for Individual Rights, and I go in to apply for this job, and I don't know anything, don't know anybody, really, and just a room full of folks, but I did do homework, and I encourage all of the young people that I talk to, do some homework about the organization that you're applying for, not have to be that field just know about that organization and who they are and what they do because when i came in for my interview i knew when that organization was founded who their first director was where they were office office before they're at this building now and just went through their whole history and they were like holy crap we didn't even know that so i wound up getting a job mostly because i knew stuff about them they didn't know so i always encourage folks if you want to score brownie points with the organization you're applying for, know about them and brag about some of the stuff they've done. That and why you're there, why you want to work there. But then, so I get the job at the Fair Program, and it was very limited in in what I could do within that job. So, I one of the first things I had to do was put together an advisory council, and again, as someone who I had no idea of. I was the first person with a disability I'd ever met. So this is still so new to me. And and who do I find people with disabilities to put on this advisory council? And the, one of the co-workers there told me that there's a gentleman in Hot Springs named Phil Steinbuck. And Phil runs the Region 6 Independent Living Program. And I went, oh, cool. Let me try to get a hold of him. So I call over the Region 6 aisle program. And I went, hey, I'm trying to reach a Phil Steinbuck. And oh, well, he's out. And I went, well, of course he's out. That's the story of my life, uh, what I need. So I said, but anyway, I said, I'd like to send him a, a letter of invitation. So before I uh, do that, could you tell me how to, how do I spell Steinbach? Because I was going to spell it S-T-I-E-N. And she goes, nope, it's S-T-I-N-E-B-U-C-K. And I'm like, oh, thank you. So I wrote Phil a letter. didn't think much about it. And a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call and it was Phil. And he goes, hey, man, uh, I got your letter. He goes, you know, I don't normally join a lot of folks' advisory councils. He goes, would you spell my name right? And that doesn't happen often. I'm going to give you a shot. So little things in life, too, that can make a world of difference in just spelling somebody's name right. Uh, So I spelled his name right. He came over. I was talking to him. uh, And he goes, dude, you're in the wrong place. You need to be an independent living. You so started telling me about IL and, and what those folks do. And I went, oh, God, you are right. So there was a job that came open the next uh, year in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I applied for that job. Got it. And was there for a few years. And another started working my way up the ladder of independent living. I uh, was the program director at sales there in Hot Springs. And then a job came open in Pine Bluff. I applied for it to become the executive director. I uh, was hired there as the executive director, and was the director there for almost a decade before I was hired here at April. So I've been at April now since 2007.
0: Wow. Okay. Very uh, impressive. Few years, but
1: and you know it's been a great run. It has afforded me to do a lot of things that I never thought would have been possible in my life. Within being the director of April. I had the opportunity to go with a group of folks to Peru. We went down to uh, Lima to help start the first ever Center for Independent Living in Peru. So to establish a pure relationship with those folks, we spent a week with them. Uh, they're still kicking. We still talk to them even after, you know, it's been well over a decade and they're still going. So getting the opportunity to, do, to travel every now and then, I... Uh, was appointed by President Obama to serve on the National Council on Disability uh, a few years back. My term oh, wow. Okay. Years ago. And so, you know, just some things that I never would have thought would have happened. I uh, was appointed to chair the Rail Vehicles Accessibility Advisory Council. There we go. R-B-A-A-C. So, I've had, a, I've had to do a lot of really cool stuff that I had, had no idea was going to come my way.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful. So, what are some of the issues that you or the the partner organizations that you work with are really focused on and trying to advocate on these days um, for for residents in rural America?
1: Yeah, right now, you know, it's it seems to be everything is COVID. If it, it transportation, you got COVID related issues there. You, you know, we can't have more than so many folks in a vehicle. You did this, that, the. Uh, so, we're always working on issues of that of even inside the COVID bubble that we're working on. But what has happened uh, that that has been, I guess, really unforeseen. It's, uh, I've always preached that folks with disabilities could work remotely, work from home, but businesses, well, we don't, I don't know if we can do that. And then suddenly COVID comes and everybody and their brother's working from home. And we go, see, told you people can work from home and be productive. So, it's been a little bit of a, you know, eye opener for folks to go. Hey, see you. How many people with disabilities did you pass over just because you thought, well, I can't let them work from home? So now we're realizing that, man, you actually can work from home. And I guess one of the other big things is for those who want it is to help them get access to the vaccine and the booster shot. Uh, again, it's back to the transportation. Sometimes I'm always one of those. Gosh, I, uh, I don't know. I, I wanna meet people where they are. So I like to take services to people as opposed to making people come to services a lot of times. So, but, but then again, that, I think differently than a lot of folks most of the time, which is a good thing.
0: So I also wanted to ask, um, what are like, tell me a little bit about some of the organizations that are, are part of your network. Um, like what sort of things are they doing on the ground? Yeah,
1: on the ground again. Centers for Independent Living are consumer-directed organizations. And what I mean by that is they are 501c3 organizations. They're community-based. They're housed in the community. They are 51% of the board of directors must be people with disabilities, and 51% of the decision-making staff must be people with disabilities. So we want to ensure that these local communities are consumer-led. Uh, not, not that people without disabilities are, are not great advocates because we still want them involved, but nobody knows more about what a person with a disability needs than a person with a disability. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I see folks do the, the Disability Awareness Days, and I value those, but it's still not a true reflection of what it's like to be 24-7 in a wheelchair. Uh, or twenty four seven blind uh, pick a disability. It's it's you know you can get a little feel for it in a few minutes, but not to the degree of of the lived experience, and that's what we look for is that lived experience. So if you're community based, what you're doing in your community may look totally different than what's happening in somebody else's community. So what I mean by that is you know I talk a lot about transportation. There are certain areas in in the country that have great transportation. So that's not important to them as as advocates. They may be more concerned with getting folks out of institutions. Uh, Some of them have really big focuses on that. I mean, spend a lot of energy and effort on ensuring that folks with disabilities, number one, don't go into institutions to begin with. But once they're in there, trying to get them back out, if they want back out, it's, it's again, it's about consumer choice and control of what people want to do. And I don't know. Well, I've seen a lot of folks in nursing homes and help get a lot of folks out of nursing homes. And I never had anyone say that they really wanted to continue living in that nursing home. Uh, everybody loves the freedom that they can get by living in their own home, their own community. Um, So a lot of the transportation programs that folks run and, you know, if there's not a fixed route and you're working with other agencies and you're collaborating with each other, I know uh, several organizations that have developed voucher programs for transportation. And what this is, is they've combined their monies. Uh, You can if you want to get wonky within the 5310 program of the department of transportation, uh, transportation for physically disabled and elderly, there are monies in there that you can do projects like vouchers. And what for me, the important part of the voucher is, is it gives some control to the person trying to get a ride. Like like me, Uh, if you're a person with a disability and you've got some of these vouchers and you go, uh, I go, Hey, I need a ride and I can pay you. Whereas you you feel like such a burden if every time you turn around, you're asking for a ride from somebody. Or if you call, you know, if you call the same person over and over for a ride, hey, can I get a ride? Can I get a ride? You know, eventually they're going to go, oh man, I'm not taking that call anymore. But if you can call and go, hey, man, I need a ride and I'll give, you know, I can pay you for your gas and time and effort. They go, well, hey. First thing you know, they're calling you going, hey, man, need a ride to town today? <laughs> so figuring out ways that benefits everybody. Uh, and, and a voucher program is one of those that does because it takes it, it benefits the person providing the ride. And it benefits the person who is receiving the ride, knowing that they're not having to be such a burden of going oh They're not doing this for their health. They're doing it because I'm paying them for it. So. Each community is going to have something unique to them that they're working on. Uh, So they may be working on infrastructure, looking at curb cuts in the smaller communities. Uh, You know, it's a variety of things. It's what I like to tell folks: if you've seen one center for independent living, you've seen one center for independent living, because they should reflect their community of what's happening in that community. That's who they're probably working on. uh, whenever I was the director down in Pine Bluff, we served a lot of people with mental health issues. And part of that is the staff that I had all identified as mental health consumers. So people were freely walking through the door and and felt comfortable saying, hey, it's that pure mechanism again. I'm going, oh, hey, I feel comfortable talking to you. So You are who you serve, is what I tell folks a lot of times. Too, if I can look at the staff of a center for independent living, I can tell you probably who they're serving because it's the peer mentality. I folks talk about all the time. We've never had anybody deaf come in our center, and I go, "Do you have anybody deaf that works there?" I go, "No," and I went, "Well, it's not. Do you have anybody that can sign that's in there? Can they come in and communicate with you?" And I go, "And I'm going. Well, why would they go there? I wouldn't." You know, it's the same difference if, if you didn't have a ramp leading in your front door. I couldn't go in. So essentially you're telling me you don't want me there if you don't have the interpreters. So what I try to do with, with April is anytime we're doing a webinar, uh, conferences, you name it, we're going to have sign language interpreters and CART available. I, you don't have to call in advance. It's just going to be there because uh, I think it's... Uh, Well, it's just uh, not fair to my other colleagues, especially my my brothers and sisters who are deaf and hard of hearing, who have advocated so long for for my issues. I have to to continue my advocacy for them, too. So I try to make it where I don't want them to have to call in advance to go, oh, hey, uh, I'm going to come to this meeting. Could you make sure I have it? You don't have to call in advance. I'm going to have it. You just come on down and come on in. Uh, So. But I just, you know, again, I think a little differently and I want to treat people differently. I, you know, I'm a simple guy. I treat every single person the way I want to be treated every day. Doesn't matter to me who you are. I'm going to treat you the same. And and I, all I ask for in return is generally just consistency. I want to be the same person. Every time you see me, I would, I want you to go, oh man, that's it. That's the same a-hole I met last time. So you know, I I just love consistency about people and and knowing who they are. So I don't know. I, I talk in circles too. That's one of my other. Uh, it's either a a curse or a blessing. Uh, I have I've had the opportunity to testify in front of Congress uh, once and uh, testified in front of uh our, in front of our Arkansas folks several times. I was answering a question years ago from uh, one of our senators and. I must've talked in a circle because really that wasn't a great answer for the question he had. So I gave him about a 20 minute answer. And when I got done, he looked at me and he goes, dude, you're going to make a great politician someday because if you answered my question, I missed it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're a great storyteller. I appreciate that. So to close this out today, um, I want to ask what advice would you have for someone that's listening um, that might want to help, you know, they're, they're passionate about helping make their community more friendly and welcoming to people with any type of disability, especially someone in a rural area. What are some steps that they if can do? If you
1: are living in a rural area and you'd like more information, you can go to our website, which is wwwapril dash. Rural r u r a l dot o r g, and we've got some a lot of different resources on our website. Uh, always feel free to email me to b w a l t o m at s b c global dot net with any questions you might have. Because there's you can tell here, I love to talk, so come. A lot of times it's the brainstorming that solves a lot of uh people don't know what they need until they start talking they think they need this and then when we get talking oh actually that's what i need yeah so a lot of times just talking and contact me i can hook you up and, and help you identify a center that may be close to you and if there's not one close to you uh we'll figure something else out. I'm I'm all about talking to folks and figuring out how do we make the world a better place? If you don't have services, how do you get services? And uh, one of the other things that I talk about a lot with folks is that I don't know anything, but I know everybody. So give me a call. I may not be able to fix it, but I can certainly send you in the right direction that we can get some issues resolved. So that would be my advice is just to look through our resources and and reach out to me.
0: Well, thank you so much um, for that offer, Billy. I'll make sure to put those links in our um, show notes for this podcast. And I really appreciate the chance to talk with you on the show today.
1: Oh my gosh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so glad to have the chance to share that interview with you guys. Um, I hope you appreciated it and definitely learned something from that conversation. A uh, big announcement as we kick off the new year, we are again holding our local motive event series. Um, that's going to be taking place in February and March and tickets just went on sale. So get your ticket now. This is a series of eight live events and then two bonus uh, pre-recorded events if you buy the round trip ticket. And they're all focused on giving you the tools that you need to take action and make your community more economically resilient. We've got a whole host of amazing speakers this year, and we're covering topics from infrastructure funding to fixing dangerous streets to working with people who have different political backgrounds to get things done. So definitely grab your ticket, head to strongtowns.org slash locomotive to do that today. You definitely want to take care of that before the month is over because everything kicks off on February 3rd, and I don't think you want to miss this. Each session costs just $25, or if you grab that round-trip ticket, it's only $125, so you're saving a lot of money. You're basically getting five free courses. So strongtowns.org slash locomotive to grab your ticket. As always, thank you to our Strong Towns members. We were really feeling the love from our members at the end of 2021 and would love to have some more new members join us in 2022. So, if that's you and you've been listening for a while, maybe think about joining. Strongtowns.org slash membership is the place to do that. And thank you so much to our current members who continue to support this show and all of the resources we create, the stories we share, everything we do at Strongtowns. All right. Thanks, y'all, for listening. We will be back. Um, we are on our regular weekly schedule from here on out. So, look forward to next week's episode. Thanks, everyone. Take care.